purchased any socks and clothing recently, there's a few things you've likely noticed. The way fabrics and textiles continue to offer better performance, the way fit and patterns continue to evolve to make bike clothing more comfortable. Perhaps you even noticed during the buying process a wider range of sizes and colors than you used to seeing too. All of these are good, positive trends in the cycling apparel world. However, in the excitement of ripping away the packaging to check out your new kit, do you remember that plastic bag your new bike clothes almost certainly came in? Chances are good that you didn't think much of it when you reflexively just tossed it into your trash. Globally, however, the cycling apparel industry is estimated to be worth almost four and a half billion US dollars with continued growth of nearly 5% annually for the next several years, thanks to an increased awareness of health and fitness among the general population. If you assume an average per piece cost of say about $100, that's 45 million individual pieces of clothing. And with very few exceptions, every one of those is packaged in its own individual plastic bag, even socks. And the sum total of all that is a heck of a lot of plastic bags, the vast majority of which end up in the trash instead of being recycled. And by vast majority, I mean literally 99% according to data refuse giant waste management. As it turns out, there's been some slow and steady progress on this front in the cycling apparel industry, largely led by small to medium-sized brands that are better able to shift their business practices around. Among these are labels you've likely heard of, such as Velocio, Ornat, or Isidore and Presca. And the changes include things like more localized manufacturing, using textiles made from recycled materials, and using bags that can be composted at home or at least in municipal curbside pickup programs where available. With most bigger brands, however, it's mostly business as usual, but even that is starting to change. Now, I get that bike clothing is expensive and none of us want our purchases to arrive either in our hands or at brick and mortar retail locations, dirty or worse yet damaged. But why does everything have to come in its own individual bag at all? How did it come to this? And perhaps more importantly, what do we do about it? These are the questions I wanted to get answers to, and to help shed some light on all of this, I got in touch with a couple of cycling apparel companies to get a better handle on things, and maybe more importantly, where we go from here. Since the smaller brands are where much of the change seems to be happening, I wanted to start there to find out what pathways seemed the most appealing and the most feasible, at least on a smaller scale. To get that perspective, I chatted with Ornot founder Matt Kwan and the company's photographer, operations, and general tech guy, Tyler Nutter. They've been using compostable bags for a while now, and in fact, they've eliminated some bags completely, but it wasn't easy and it wasn't necessarily cheap either. So let's hear how they pulled it off. Uh, my name is Matt Kwan, and I'm the founder of Ornot. My name is Tyler Nutter, um, and I'm the photographer and kind of operations guide or not. Somehow I get the feeling you two wear a lot of hats. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. me. Yeah. You have, yeah. 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 <laughs> Tyler wears all the hats. When I first started, I just was like, I guess I'm the doer of things. That's my title. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for being on today. I really appreciate you guys making the time. Um, and this all kind of came about when, um, I mean, sure, we had, you know, we get press releases every now and then from companies that are like, you know, hey, we're doing this with our packaging and, you know, switching to recycled bags and whatnot. Um, and it, it really dawned on me after looking into this a lot more, just sort of the idea of, you know, why does cycling clothing come in bags anyway? Because I feel like for people 
who are maybe going into a retail store, you know, back when people actually used to physically walk into places, um, uh, for people walking into a retail store, they're maybe not going to see a bag, uh, a cycling clothing in a bag. It'll be, you know, hanging up on, on, on a hook or on hanger or something like that. Um, but I think a lot of people don't know unless they're buying something directly online or something, you know, they don't understand that every single piece of cycling clothing with few exceptions comes in a, its own little individual plastic bag. Like a pair of gloves will come in a plastic bag. You know, a jersey will come in its own plastic bag. You know, a pair of shorts comes in a plastic bag. A hat comes in a plastic bag. Um, is this a fairly recent thing or is this just sort of how it's always been done? Um, you know, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, I can only assume that no, this hasn't been happening forever, right? I mean, like, you know, how far back do you have to go to, you know, to go to a bike shop and they get a big box from, you know, X vendor and it just has socks in it. You know, maybe it has socks, you know, maybe it has two dozen pair of socks, but they're all in one bag or maybe they're just in one box. Um, like I was trying to think back to when, like in the nineties, I used to work at a bike shop. Uh, I was a mechanic, but still you're in the bike shop and you see everything that happens. I'm almost positive that when they were opening up the boxes of the apparel or the socks, um, things were not individually bagged. Um, I think it was just a box and then maybe a bag within that box, but just one bulk bag. Um, and things were not individually packaged. Why does cycling clothing come in bags anyway? Like, you know, wh why does it need to come in a bag? So, um, I'll take you back to, so I took you back into the nineties when I worked at a bike shop and I'll take you back to uh, like 2013 and 14 when I started or not. Uh, so I started it in my garage and uh, you know, I had a bunch of clothing there. Some of it did come individually bagged because that was just the norm. Um, and some of it didn't um, like socks. Uh, so, you know, we would just get these big bulk bags of socks and each pair of socks, you know, had a little, uh, you know, plastic sort of doodad to, you know, to hold them together, uh, but they weren't individually bagged. Um, and we were fulfilling, you know, sending out orders from my garage every day. Uh, and then at some point we got big enough, you know, barely big enough that we were like, okay, how do we not spend all of this time shipping stuff out? And my garage is only so big and like, I don't want to, <laughs> like, this is not what we want to do. So, you know, is there a solution for this? And then obviously like, so this is like 2014, you know, e-commerce is becoming much bigger and, there's all of these other sort of apparatus for making things easier. One of them is called a 3PL, a third party logistics. And I don't know why it's called that, but essentially it's a warehouse that holds all of your products and they ship everything out for you. And this like is a like a fulfillment center. It's a, yeah, it's a fulfillment center. Exactly. And you know, they fulfill for all different brands uh, and there's tons of these. Um, so we were like, all right, sweet. Can we do this? We're big enough. All right, we can do a 3PL. Let's do it. Uh, so we, you know, there's a huge learning curve. Uh, one of the things that's involved in the learning curve was the fact that we needed to put everything in a little plastic bag. So we had all these socks and we were like, uh, okay, so we need to find little bags to put them in. So we've got all these little bags. We got this sealer to like heat seal them and it smelled so gross. And we just like had to bag all these socks, indiv you know, individual pairs. And we're like, this is crazy. Really? Um, same thing with bar bags. We made bar bags. It's a bag. <laughs> and then we had to- and You got to put it in a bag. Put yeah. it in a bag. We were like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> so, um, 
it's a little bit roundabout, but you know, where did this plastic bag craze come from? And I think it's from, you know, these fulfillment centers uh, because they're dusty and dirty and they don't want to be responsible for like, you know, dirty fingers or, you know, messed up packages. And I think that's why we have all these plastic bags around every single thing. I mean, I guess is that, I guess that seems to be the downside of not using a plastic bag then for these fulfillment centers then is, I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess you run the risk of things getting dirty or dusty and stuff. Um, does it, does it ease the process of sorting and, and packaging all this stuff though? Like when, when someone goes to fulfill an order, is it easier for them to grab, I'm, I'm assuming it's easier to grab a jersey that's in a, its own plastic bag and has yeah. a barcode on it or something, as opposed to grabbing a loose garment that's in a box, right? Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I would, I would assume so. Yeah. Um, so as far as you know, though, I mean, is, is this standard practice for casual apparel as well? I mean, is it is this limited to sort of sports apparel or is this just how everything is now? Like if I were to go to like a Nordstrom rack or something, like did all that stuff initially start out life in a plastic bag? I mean, I don't know the exact answer to that, but I would assume yes. Um, you know, um, we had you and I had emailed a little bit before this uh, about what REI is doing and you know, REI has sent out sort of like a packaging request to all their vendors to essentially cut down on the single use poly bags. Um, so that makes me think that, you know, if REI is getting, you know, all these different products from random vendors, um, they're, they're asking for them to not individually polybag them. Um, which makes me think that Nordstrom Rack is getting, you know, random Adidas sweatshirt in a polybag. Yeah if they have Adidas sweatshirts. I guess what I don't have a sense for right now is the overall scope of the issue. Um, I mean, you know, or not is comparatively speaking, you know, talking about like Pearl Zumi or Castelli or whatever, like I mean, you guys are pretty small. Yeah. Um, but if we talk about bigger brands, you know, like Pearl Zumi, you know, they started this initiative a, lo a little while ago, you know, talking about how they had switched to you know, smaller hang tags or like, you know, no hang tags in some cases, and they switch to recycled poly bags. I mean, all these things are, are, are really good efforts, I feel like. Um, but they're still bags. And even if, even if someplace, you know, even if you live in an area that, uh, that has some sort of bag recycling facility available to you, it's not like you can just sort of toss it in with your recycling. There's an extra step required, which a lot of people just aren't going to do. Um, you know, and, Santini now has compostable bags, which is great. Um, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, but, you know, they, they had talked about how they went from doing individual bags for their team fulfillment orders, like just for Trek Segafredo. And they were talking about how just switching the team order from individual garment bags to just having everything for each individual rider in its own just big cardboard box, just all tossed in there. They were talking about how even just that saved something, what, like 3,000 kilos or no, sorry, it was 3,000 bags, something wow. like that. Um, it saved something like 3,000 individual bags. And that's just for one team. Just, granted, yeah, like a, yeah. granted, I mean, one team of that scale uses a lot of clothing, but that's still one team. I mean, as opposed to an entire world's worth of cycling apparel. And then if we're talking about casual apparel as well, I mean, it's an astronomical amount of plastic bags. And Again, if they're not very easy to recycle, it's just a phenomenal amount of waste. Yes. Um, I mean, do you do you two have any sense as to how how big this issue is? I mean, 
you know, I don't know if you're able to, to disclose sales volumes or anything like that, but you know, relatively speaking, I mean, how much smaller is or not than like a, a major cycling apparel brand? Yeah, we're, we're quite a bit smaller. <laughs> um, we're quite, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how big they are, but I know that we are definitely smaller. Um, that being said, the one thing that we are doing, uh, and we've just started it like two weeks ago, is we've moved from that other 3PL uh, that we had been with since like 2014 uh, to a new uh, warehouse, a new 3PL, um, that is also climate neutral certified like we are. Um, and it's a smaller, it's a smaller operation, but at the same time, they're willing to do things a little bit differently. They don't require, uh, each individual piece to be polybagged. Um, so we've started sending them products that aren't individually polybagged like our socks. Um, and, uh, obviously, you know, we use compostable bags for a lot of our, uh, jerseys and bibs and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, we're looking towards a solution where we don't have to send everything in a bag um, or we can use, a, you know, a little recycled paper paper tie um, or, you know, some other type of package, you know, small recyclable, uh, sustainable packaging to kind of contain that, that piece. And they're cool with working with, I mean, they're actually encouraging us to work within a structure like that. So, um, so it's pretty cool. How hard was it to find someone who was willing to do that? Because it sounds like, you know, if the reason why we have all these things in plastic bags was basically for ease of processing, then not having things in a bag implies that it's harder to process or, you know, it's a little bit more complicated. You have to take more care in doing something. Um, and that certainly creates you know, some issues on the production side, but maybe more importantly on the fulfillment side. So, you know, is, is this the sort of thing where, you know, are you finding more fulfillment centers are willing to do that sort of thing? Or is it really hard to find someone who's kind of willing to, to go through the care? I mean, from, <clears throat> from our experience, it's harder, you know, just almost like everything that's a little bit more sustainable. Um, it's just harder. You need to do more research. You need to find that, uh, that, that, partner that's kind of like focused on the same thing, uh, you know, which is sustainability. Um, so, I mean, we, yeah, yeah. Most of the fulfillment centers we kind of came across when we were looking into this, all they want to do is just take product in and ship it. And it, they really don't have much care for anything else. They don't want to kind of take the time to find new ways to do things. They're just one kind of task and that's all they're, they're focused on. So I think it's, it seems safe to assume, at least from my perspective, that the reason why all this stuff has been in just regular run-of-the-mill poly bags is just because they're cheap and easy. Um, so I guess my assumption is that for a company like you or Santini or whoever to switch to something, even just to switch to a compostable bag, that I'm assuming adds cost. Um, is it a significant cost? Does it matter that much? I mean, is that sort of thing that you can kind of pass through to the end buyer? I mean, how does that work exactly? Yeah, it, yeah, it, it ends up costing more, you know, different, we have different sewing partners uh, and um, some of them are just, they're like, you know, sure, you know, give us whatever bag you want to do, spec it, we'll put it in there. Uh, not a big deal. If it takes a little bit longer, we'll charge you a little bit more. Uh, but other ones, um, here and you know we do like almost all of our manufacturing here in the U.S. Um, 
And in the US, manufacturing isn't as big. Um, and a lot of the places are kind of set in their ways and they don't need to adapt as much as uh, places uh, overseas do. Um, and so we've had a lot of pushback on using these compostable bags because it's not part of their normal process. And it just blows our mind. We're just like, really? We're, this is, they're compostable bags. It's a bag. You use the plastic like because they're free. I mean, essentially the, the non-recycled virgin, uh, uh, you know, poly bags are free. Like they don't cost anything. And they're just like, let's just do these. They, they don't cost anything. They're easy to go in. They're slippery, like whatever. We'll just do these. Um, it's crazy. So, I mean, if, if the regular poly bags are essentially free, I mean, how much is a compostable bag? Uh, I think the compostable bags are between seven and 10 cents. I can't remember what we pay. Uh, okay. Tristan. So, I mean, seven or 10 cents relative to like, you know, half a cent or a quarter of a cent or something like that. And I guess for, you know, extrapolated out into however many number of garments. I mean, it's not insignificant cost, I'm no. guessing. No, especially if you have to pay an extra 10 cents or no, an extra 20 cents for them to put it in the bag. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it, then it's real, you know, it's like almost 30 cents a piece um, for, you know, asking, you know, our sewing facility to, you know, help us out and, you know, use, like do something, do, do the, do the right thing, you know, essentially use this you know, compostable bag that's somewhat better. So I guess speaking of doing the right thing, I mean, what motivated you to, to, to go to these, to these changes that you're, that you're initiating? Cause you could have just, you could have just stayed with that old fulfillment center. You could have just kept tossing stuff in regular virgin poly bags. Um, but instead, you know, you and, and, and admirably a handful of other companies have decided to, you know, switch things up, use different types of bags, or, you know, uh, we were talking just a, a minute ago, you know, REI, a huge, huge outdoor retailer in the U.S. I mean, they're they're pushing all their vendors, like you said, to to eliminate poly bags completely. Um, you know, on the one hand, I, I you know, on, on the one hand, I wonder sometimes some of these decisions you can see are are good PR moves for companies, especially bigger ones, and you know they can afford to make these changes. And uh, in some ways, you can make a business argument for it. like it's 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 in, inevitably in some ways going to be a financial plus for them. Um, but for a smaller outfit like yours, I mean, it seemed like it just sort of costs more. So what was the motivation to doing that? Like, how did, how did you justify making those changes? Um, well, it's kind of like a big thing, but um, you know, I'll go back to when I started or not. Um, I started it as a side project and I was very, you know, I've been racing and riding bikes for a long time and uh, I was, I can definitely acknowledge that stretchy bike clothes are not a necessity. You know, it's like, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a luxury. It's like, this is not something that, you know, you get what it is. So, uh, that's why I was like, all right, I could, there were a million places, um, overseas, uh, where I could, you know, choose to produce the clothing when I was initially setting everything up. And I was like, well, let's have to do things like a little bit differently. If I'm going to make like stretchy bike clothes, let's see if I can make it here. Um, and it was tough. It was like hard to find a partner to work with here who was still doing it and who, who was willing to work with, with me. Um, so it kind of goes back to that. I, I kind of acknowledge that it's a luxury piece and um, I kind of choose to do it the way that I think it should be done whether or not it's like the best like business decision. Um, 
because yeah, the, the sustainability stuff right now, it, no, it just costs a lot of money. I mean, and, and it may be a little bit of a marketing thing. Like, you, you know, like, sure. People do want like, look at Patagonia. They're like a great example of kind of like, you know, trying to do the right thing and having it pay off. Um, yeah. I mean, well, they've built it into their brand identity essentially. Exactly. Um, so, uh, but for us, the way that I think about it with like, you know, 1% for the planet, uh, the climate neutral certified, the doing the, you know, sustainable packaging and working towards, uh, you know, sustainable fabric as well. Um, for us, I think it's, we, we're putting pressure on bigger companies to do the right thing. Um, you know, if they can point to, you know, look at these small guys, they're doing A, B, or C, you know, why don't you, or maybe the bigger companies see that, oh, the smaller companies are doing this. People are responding well to it. Maybe we should pay, you know, that extra X amount of cents to, 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 to sort of add some sustainability to their sort of product uh, supply infrastructure. This Speaking of bigger companies, I mean, I, I know you can't speak for those bigger companies, and that's a separate conversation that I'll have with them. But um, I mean, is this the sort of thing that is easier to pull off because you are a smaller company? Could be. Maybe. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, we, we sit on, you know, in Corona times, we sit on Zoom and, you know, uh, maybe we're, you know, talking about, you know, something that's very specific and our conversation wanders to like, oh, did you see this? Oh, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, wait, we should do this. Uh, and yeah, we can make some changes fairly quickly. So yeah, there could be a little bit of agility, you know, to having a four and a half yeah. person team. <laughs> <laughs> right. As opposed to having, you know, 40 or 400 or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, you know, they have a whole department, you know, those bigger companies have a whole department dedicated to, you know, you know, like how Tyler wears all these different hats, you know, they have one hat for marketing and one hat for, you know, production and, you know, and they can actually kind of like, Hey, let's like work on this. And, you know, I might argue that they're spending their time on other, other things. In your opinion. And again, granted, I, you can only speak to this from, from the perspective of, or not in a company of your size, but, you know, how, how do we tackle this industry-wide uh, moving forward? I mean, what what is necessary to kind of change perceptions or change attitudes on how this sort of thing should be handled? Because again, I mean, part of this is the the expectation on a consumer side that if you're going to spend however, however much money on cycling apparel, and, and let's be realistic, I mean, pretty much none of this stuff is cheap. Like you're not going to go out and buy like a, a $10 jersey like you could potentially like a $10 or $15 t-shirt or something like that. Um, it seems like the expectation is that you, you're spending all this money on some sort of specialized piece of apparel that you are getting something that is perfect. Like, you know, sort of like the analogy of you going to the supermarket and, you know, kind of picking the best apple and leave the other ones on the on the, on the cart. Um, so how, how do we change attitudes and and, you know, perceptions on how all this stuff should be handled. I mean, is, is it the sort of thing where a customer just shouldn't be upset if there's a little fleck of dust on their shirt, on their, sh on their shorts or Jersey when it comes in? Like, what do, what do we do? I mean, Matt already kind of mentioned that smaller companies like us doing this can kind of drive a change for the big, bigger companies. Um, and if they're the ones that are kind of pushing back on the three PLs, since it seems like that's kind of the, the big holdup, um, 
if everyone can kind of push back on the 3PLs to really find alternatives for how they kind of store and, and pick items, I mean, that could be a very good start. Because I guess ultimately it's sort of like looking at the Amazon model, for example. I mean, yeah, I mean, they are obviously the 800 pound gorilla and yeah. Amazon tells their vendors or tells their yeah. fulfillment centers, or whatever, like this is what you're going to do. Yeah. They're going to do it, even right. if it's not a good idea as it turns yeah. out. Yeah, if yeah, we went definitely. to the 3PL that we previously were in and we're like, hey, we want to do this, we're, you know, small fries to them and they wouldn't make the change. They wouldn't take the time to like find a solution for us. Uh, but the the new place we're at, they're also kind of a smaller company like us. And in early talks, they're like, if you have something you want to try, like, let's do it. Let's talk about it and find a solution for you. I um, mean, that's kind of where we, we landed on the some of the products not being in bags anymore. So pretty cool to, to find solutions like that. And it would be really cool if bigger ones. I hate to be the cynical about it, but I mean, is it sort of, does it really ultimately boil down to, you know, it, it seems like everything in, in business and retail and just sort of, you know, this sort of world in general, I mean, ultimately it all comes down to money, right? So what I'm wondering is if, you know, if someone makes the decision that you want to kind of quote, do the right thing, unquote, whatever, I mean, is it sort of the the thing where ultimately someone is either going to be willing, someone has to be willing to shoulder the financial burden or is it the sort of thing where, you know, you have to find ways to make it financially viable for other people involved? Because it sounds like, you know, ultimately, if you just leave it up to people to just, just kind of do the right thing, most people are not going to do the right thing. So what do you do? Yeah, I you know, it's kind of interesting because there's a couple of ways. There's a little bit of a chicken and an egg, you know, like... 10 years ago, we didn't have, you know, compostable poly bags and even the amount of, you know, recycled uh, bags, like the technology and the demand just wasn't there. So there could be a little bit of like, oh, now there are more and more of these sustainable, sustainable products, you know, so there could be more there for people to use and they could become a little bit cheaper. So, you know, that could be one way that I think, uh, you can see some higher adoption rates with, you know, more sustainable packaging. Um, you know, the other way could be, I don't, I don't know what type of, you know, if there would ever be any type of regulation about, you know, using, you know, virgin, virgin plastic versus using, you know, recycled plastic. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's a way, uh, but like you said, yeah, I think it'll definitely come down to what it costs. And so, I mean, say you could get uh, a, you know, compostable poly bag at the same <laughs> free price as a, as a, as a virgin poly bag, um, you know, then the decision would be pretty easy. Uh, how we get, how we, how we arrive at having that, that very affordable price, I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, it sounds like there are a lot of hurdles to to jump over at this point, and it sounds like there are a lot of things that you know a variety of players are still kind of figuring it out. But I do find it encouraging that there are a lot of efforts on various scales to try and figure out. So, you know, fingers crossed, things get better moving forward. Yeah, and we're not obviously we're not the only ones doing it too. There's like you know, I think there's a big movement along a lot of the smaller brands to kind of to maybe it is because it's easier for them. Um, you know, but it does seem like there is like a groundswell, um, which is cool to see. Yeah. I mean, it does seem like sort of like the, there's much more of an expectation, certainly on the consumer side anyway, that 
you know, they, they want to see companies just kind of do better in general. And, you know, consumers, you know, certainly at least the ones that have the luxury of making these choices, they, they want to be associated with brands and companies and products that are, you know, kind of like what we were saying, like, you know, sort of doing the right thing in some, in some respects. So that, that's also really good to see. Yeah. Cool. Well, Matt and Tyler, thank you so much for your time. It was great having you on and I'll be really keen to see kind of just how this whole thing progresses moving forward. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks again. Bye. Yeah. It's good chatting with you. to say, the initiatives from Ornot and other smaller companies are all really encouraging, and they're demonstrating that these changes are not only effectual, but realistic from a business perspective, at least on that smaller scale. Still, again, these are mostly smaller companies that we're talking about. What about ones that are a lot bigger? Do those changes still apply on that larger scale? Are they feasible? For that viewpoint, I chatted with Perlazumi's global brand manager, Andrew Hammond. Andrew, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, to lend some perspective from a bigger company like Perlazumi's size, you know, earlier in the show, I got the perspective of the folks from Ornot, and they're, I mean, they're a good cycling clothing brand, but certainly a lot smaller than Perlazumi. Uh, the first thing I want to know is, I mean, can you give us a, a sense as to how big Perlazumi's operation is? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I think it's it's kind of a funny one too because a lot of people think about Pearl Zumi as being a really big company, and I think we're big in the cycling apparel space, but that's a pretty small space. So you know, our our company we have um, about eighty employees that work in our building at all the time, and um, so you know, I'd say we are a we're still a small company, you know, but we do have a big impact for sure. Okay. Well, fair enough, because, I mean, relatively speaking, though, compared to Ornot, you're massive because they were saying that they have, I believe they told me they have four and a half employees right now. So, yeah, so, you know, roughly 15, 20 times. Anyway, um, you know, I we were talking earlier in the show about how, with a very, very little exception, cycling clothing almost always arrives at its destination inside its own individual plastic bag. Um now, uh, I know that Perlazumi switched up its practices not too long ago, and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but first, I want to know how bags in general fit into Perlazumi's business practice and what, what purpose do they serve? Yeah, I think, well, the first thing to mention is that basically every piece of apparel that you buy comes in a bag. So not just cycling apparel, but if you buy a new jacket, if you, you know, a new short, uh, you know, a pair of shorts or like a pair of jeans from Levi's or something like that, they're all going to come in a bag. So it's not unique to the cycling industry. But the reason that we use the bags is to protect the garment during shipment and in the warehouses and basically all the way to the time it, it actually reaches the rider. You know, whether that's, you know, in a store and it's hung up on a hanger or it is, you know, shipped directly from uh, one of our, you know, internet partners. It could be like a competitive cyclist, for instance, or directly from our own uh, distribution center. Yeah, I mean, that that is something that... You know, I, I, I talked about this a little bit earlier in the show. It is something that I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily realize that, you know, even in regular retail stores for casual apparel, I mean, all that stuff arrives in a bag. It's an awful lot of bags. Um, you know, Pearl Zumi, 
uh, you know, I know you recently switched to uh, recycled poly bags, and you know, you made a move to go to you know much smaller hang tags, like the little you know pieces of cardboard, paperboard tags that hang on on every piece of piece of clothing. Um, and I think that's a great initiative, especially for a, a larger cl- clothing brand. Um, but while you know all that stuff is definitely a move in the right direction, I think the question comes up like you, when you look at some of these smaller brands that are going a step further still with either you know potentially eliminating bags altogether or using compostable bags, that sort of thing. What what are the hurdles to a company per Lazumi size to making that jump? And why why couldn't you go a little bit further than you are now? Yeah, well, there's a lot in that uh, in that last question, you know, for sure. The first thing I will say is that we are actually working on it at this time. So we we are working on a bagless solution, and uh, we're also working at the same time to reduce as much as possible the size of the bags that we actually are using. So we are working on it. It is a, a goal of ours. We have some uh, additional practices or ad- additional things we're putting in place to eliminate as many bags as possible as well in the meantime. So, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with how you distribute your products. And if you are able to go consumer direct, you know, they buy from your website, you ship it to them from your own warehouse. And that's really the main way that your gear is sold. Or you are selling it directly from your warehouse, you know, to a specific retailer. And it's basically there's there's no other third parties involved. It is quite a bit easier to make a step like reducing bags because then you can make sure that the environment that you're storing the, the gear in is appropriate for a, a bagless solution. It's going to keep the gear uh, clean, you know, and it's going to arrive the way that people expect it to. When you add in extra layers and you have you know different requirements for for different partners it becomes a lot more difficult to manage that because it's hard to anticipate exactly what the needs are going to be for each different person that is ultimately handling your gear and selling your gear so that is one of the challenges when you're distributed in more places you have to think about it as a complete solution and you know how can you ensure that that gear is going to arrive to the rider, you know, without getting dirty or, or damaged in some way. Right. Because I guess the, the, the takeaway that I'm getting in speaking to not only you and not only or not, but some other companies that kind of had this conversation with not too long ago is that it really does seem to boil down to an issue of, like you said, distribution, uh, especially when you are dealing with these third party, you know, uh, like fulfillment centers, that sort of thing. Um, you know, but but talking about the the larger individual vendors, I know you know REI recently started requesting from its vendors that they minimize the packaging that they use in shipping their products over there uh, to REI warehouses and stores. Um, is this something that Perlazumi is taking part in? And if so, what does that look like? Like if you if you are able to have these arrangements with with particular retailers or or vendors or you know the fulfillment centers, how does that work? Because I guess the reason these bags have been in place anyway is because you know I guess consumers have certain expectations for what their their new product look, looks like when it when it gets to them um, so if stuff is not in a bag is it a matter of figuring out a way that the stuff still gets there in just as pristine condition as it did when it was in a bag or is it a matter of sort of managing consumer expectations for what the stuff should look like when it gets to them Hmm, that's interesting. I actually, I, I do think it's about getting the getting the the gear to somebody in as good a condition as if it had a bag. I think that that needs to be the goal. You know, um, I haven't really thought about 
people being willing to get a, a brand new item that's a little bit dirty. But I mean, I think there's also damage that can occur too. And that isn't very reasonable. You know, I, one thing that I saw that I found really interesting was a, uh, a chart that plotted the amount of waste with packaging. And on the far end, like if you use a lot of packaging, you obviously, you know, you have a lot of waste, but then you move down that curve and you get more minimal, more minimal. And at some point, you know, you have the low point of the curve, curve where you're using the least amount of packaging possible. But then as you start to decrease the packaging even further, the waste actually starts to go up because you have damaged items. So, you know, I think the packaging is such a small fraction of the overall impact of the garment. Everything we buy, you know, has a has an impact and it uses resources and it creates greenhouse gases, you know, everything we buy. So I think we need to think about a little bit how much we're actually buying and how long the gear is going to last and how much use we're going to get out of it. That's all really needs to be considered in addition to the packaging. The, the packaging is one of those things where, you know, it doesn't actually affect, once you get the good, you discard the packaging. So it's really clear to see that kind of waste, you know, and it's something that we, it's, it's emotional. We, we see it doesn't make us feel good, especially in the case of plastic where it could end up in the water supply you know, and it doesn't degrade very fast. So, you know, it, it's a, it's something we were, we're working on for sure, but I think we need to think about the total impact and make sure that gear isn't getting damaged. In the case of REI, yes, they are working to reduce um, polybags, which we think is great. And what they're doing is they're doing a chargeback for any companies that are not able to remove the polybag. So if you ship them something and you've got a thousand poly bags in the order and they have to recycle those, then there's going to be a chargeback for the, the company. So there's a financial incentive for, for people to participate. But in the case of like an REI, if we have a large order, a pre-order from them, what we're able to do is actually combine it into one larger container. So you, we can remove the individual poly bags, put it into one larger container. There is one large plastic barrier on the inside of the package, but it does uh, drastically reduce the overall number of bags that are that are being used to protect the garments. I mean, I certainly agree that you know people generally have to have a much more holistic view in terms of waste and sustainability in general. Um, and I agree that ultimately, you know, it's sort of like that whole reduce, reuse, recycle thing, right? I mean, ultimately, the first step is to just not use or not consume as much stuff. You know, I mean, that that's the first step, right? Um, but I also think that, you know, if there are smaller steps that can be taken, then it's a good idea to do those. Um, and again, I mean, I, I, I certainly applaud Perlazumi for, for making a lot of effort in this department. Um, for situations where you cannot eliminate polybags completely, I mean, you said that you are, you, you said that Perlazumi is, is working on things moving forward and, and trying to progress things. Uh, can, can you shed any light on what some of that might look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the first thing is we're, we're moving towards a roll and tie uh, the you know way to basically package the goods. So we're we're rolling the garments up. We're tying them. It's very similar. Prana was probably the you know the first company that really did a great job of this. Similar to the way that they deliver goods, uh, where there's no poly bag at all. That's where we're ultimately hoping to move. As an interim step, we're using the roll and tie to decrease uh, to decrease the overall volume of the item, so that we can use a much much smaller bag. So we're talking about like. 60% smaller. So we're using overall less plastic. 
And then the other things we're doing are combining shipments where possible. So removing the bags when we can do a bulk ship to, you know, certain retailers or like in the case of a team custom clothing, we're actually able to, again, pull all the team items together, ship it out in one larger carton, and that removes a lot of those individual bags. So those are some steps. Um, one thing you mentioned was biodegradable bags, and that has been something that we looked into. We actually looked into it when we redid our uh, poly bags. It would have been um, a little over two years ago now. And you know, biodegradable is interesting because there's a lot of different kinds of biodegradable bags. And one thing that uh, was concerning to us, a lot of the solutions that we saw at the time actually still use some plastic. So what you would have is a bag that would disappear, but it would disappear into smaller elements and really those microplastics that you know are so concerning and probably should be the thing that we're most concerned about when it comes to, uh, to using plastic. So it wasn't as good of a solution as it appeared on the surface. We, we're definitely looking at you know, every type of, every way that we can make the reductions. You mentioned the hang tags. You know, it's the common practice in the outdoor industry and the cycling industry was to have a book of hang tags hanging off of every garment. And, you know, we have a lot of requests still from retailers, you know, that want to really communicate the story of each individual jersey and short that's going to be on the sales floor. But we just said, you know what, we're going to stick to it. We're going to use one hang tag on the garments. It's going to be the smallest size possible that we can still recycle, which is basically the size of a business card. And we're going to rely on the website to tell the story about the garments. And that was a way we, you know, reduced a significant amount of waste off of everything that we ship. And uh, yeah, the impacts are pretty big there. So, we're, you know, it's, it's got to be like a multi-pronged approach for sure. Okay, cool. Um I know that brands talk to other brands. Uh, is, is this the sort of thing that you are starting to see a little bit more widespread throughout the industry? I mean, is, are, are multiple brands looking at these sorts of things? Because, you know, like I know, I think I mentioned already, Santini is using their compostable bags and they're a pretty good sized company as well. Um, but I'm also wondering about, you know, sort of, you know, Castelli and, you know, whatever other bigger brands are out there. Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know that we have spoken with Castelli or any of the major cycling players. We have definitely, you know, uh, spoken to Prana, uh, Patagonia, some of these other leaders when it comes to uh, to sustainability, and relied on on their expertise to help us move a little bit faster. We've also been participating in the Hig Index since 2015, which is a way for a company to measure the total impact of, of the whole business. I mean, that's everything from labor to, you know, what the garments are made of to how they're distributed to how your office is run, you know, like what kind of light bulbs you have. So it's, it's a very, very comprehensive way to look at your total impact and um, sustainable apparel coalition has, has helped us a lot as well. So those are really the resources that we have used and where we're also communicating with other companies. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, it, it is encouraging to hear that things are progressing I mean, not just with your brand and, you know, some of the other ones that I've spoken with, but it, it is nice to hear that this is something that the industry in general is at least thinking about and trying to figure out how to move forward on. So, uh, you know, I find that encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a challenge, but, um, I think the more people that are invested in it and think it's important, the faster it's going to move. And REI is a great example of that. You know, here you have one, one of the major players in the outdoor space saying, we need to fix this and, you know, we're going to provide an incentive to do it. And I think those are the kinds of things that gets everybody on board quickly. 
Yep, I agree. Cool. Sounds good. Well, Andrew, thanks so much for your time. You bet. Thank you, James. Okay, so this is all pretty good news. But it's important to remember that packaging is just one piece of the sustainability puzzle when it comes to cycling apparel and the cycling industry in general. And although it's perhaps a smaller piece of that big picture, packaging is still a pretty visible one that I'm happy to see addressed. Let's not forget that there's also the resources required to make the products in general though, and the associated waste there, the energy required to run the company, transportation resources, and so on. Ultimately, that old adage of reduce, reuse, recycle still seems to apply. Let's face it though, at least as it stands currently, the sport of cycling is still pretty consumptive. And while it may take a while for that kind of attitude to change, if it ever does, it's at least somewhat comforting to hear that there are some efforts being made to think about the other pieces of that three-legged stool. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. As always, please make sure to subscribe to the pod so you never miss an episode. And depending on where you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating or review so that more people can find this show and hear what we have to say. See you next week. Thank you.